Training's hard. Really, really hard. Conference play begins. The Texas Longhorns against their pesky stepbrothers, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And they play up in Lubbock this Saturday, 2.30 kick on ESPN. And myself and Wes Scott Eberts will get you guys previewed for the Big 12 opener against Texas Tech. Wes Scott, I know you've been looking forward to this game, not just because it's your favorite city in, in Texas, your favorite fan base out of the Big 12, but just for the overall, just getting back together with Texas Tech. You know, it might be uh, one of the last times that Texas has to play Texas Tech for a while. Did, did you see, um, I think it was last week that that, that stuff came out about um, Texas Tech whining because they thought that Texas had agreed in principle to play them for like the next 75 years in a row or something. Yeah. Uh, 20 to 25 years. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently Texas had not, you know, confirmed that. And so their, their athletic director, um, you know, was upset and, you know, Crystal Connie was basically like, well, we never committed anything because we don't even know what the SEC schedule is going to look like. So, you know, why would we do that? Um, I know Curry, you know, our guy who runs the uh, the BON um, Twitter account and has some hot takes every once in a while on the website. He wants to play that game. Um, I don't particularly ever want to play Texas Tech again um, in any sport after Texas leaves the Big 12. How do you feel about that? That's funny from Curry because – he he's still upset that Texas scheduled a two-game series against UTSA, but he still wants to play Texas Tech. It's a four-game series against UTSA, I believe. Four-game series. Okay, yeah. so it's twenty twenty-four, and then beyond that. I think they play um, they play every two years out to twenty thirty. See, I, I kind of want to keep some of the in-state rivalries going forward once we jump. But is it a rivalry? Is it really a rivalry? Well, do you consider Bedlam a rivalry when Oklahoma has won 90 out of the 116 games? <laughs> like yeah. everyone, Oklahoma State fans are just like, oh, I'm so upset. It's like, why? You get your butts whooped every, you've won three games in the last, like, what, two decades against Oklahoma? Like, I would be happy I'm not playing them anymore. That's at least you might be able to fill that in with a team you can actually beat. I mean, I would say that if, if Texas did happen to schedule Texas Tech for 20 years, you know, history says that they'd win 75, you know, 15 out of those games. So, you know, that's a lot of non-conference wins to pile up. I can I can kind of see the argument in favor of it from that perspective. Yeah, Texas is 11-2 against Texas Tech since 2009. I don't think Texas has lost in Lubbock since the Crabtree game, right? The Crabtree game, the George W. Bush administration. <laughs> so I think that's what you call karma, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I guess what I would say about that is that it's uh, it's pretty sad that you know Texas has been able to go and win in a tough environment in Lubbock, and they haven't been able to maintain home field advantage against some teams that haven't been very good. Um, and the last that 2000, 2015 loss was that I think that was was that the last one, or did they lose in? I think that was the last loss to, to – was that the last loss to Texas Tech? Uh, I think so, right, De- Deontay Foreman on uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving. No, that would have been – Foreman would have been hurt, and that was a Chris Warren game. Okay. When he was running wild, and they still lost that one. Texas lost one. I think it was a Thanksgiving game. DKR had about 20 people in the stands. I think 15 of those were just ushers. 
I'm looking up. Yeah, so Tech won in 20. If they won 48-45 in 2015. So that was Charlie Strong's second to last year, right? Yeah. His second, yeah, also his second year. No, they lost to Texas. They lost in 2017 also. So they lost two consecutive home games against Tech. Somehow I, I just uh, – oh, that was the game where, yeah, they had a late lead and, and Sam Ellinger threw a couple bad interceptions in that game. I remember that one now. And then a lot of people started to, to question Sam after that game. Um, you know, after he had, he had he'd had a pretty pretty solid season there um, as a true freshman with uh, Shane Bouchelle beat up for a lot of that year. Of course, the last time Texas played in Lubbock was the 63-56 OT game. Kind of like how the Browns came back, or excuse me, how the Jets came back against the Browns last Sunday. That was very similar to how Texas came back against Texas Tech. I I think there was, what, like a minute 30 left? Texas scored. I think it was Josh Moore who had the last two touchdowns. They recovered an onside kick from Cameron Dicker. And then Little Jordan Jordan Humphrey had the game-winning catch in that game. Josh, did Josh Moore have the 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 game tying one, or am I wrong? I know Josh Moore had at least one touchdown in that game. Um, I think he was actually that was two thousand two thousand eighteen. Josh Moore was hurt. Was Josh oh, Moore two thousand twenty two thousand twenty right? The last time Texas won in Lubbock. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, that's I was yeah, confusing. That was, I was confusing it with the 2018 game. Yeah, the 2018 that was a good one too. Uh, Texas just hung on against Texas Tech. 2020 was more fun um, because there was huge concerns about the Texas defense, and then the next week uh, lost to TCU, and that's kind of was the beginning of the end for Tom Herman. Was the that kind of the Texas Tech game because the defense was just so bad. Um, yeah, Josh Moore did have the um, – he scored the um, the game-tying touchdown in regulation, and then he scored the um, – the what ended up being the uh, the winning touchdown in overtime. Good times when we thought Joshua Moore was going to be the next great Texas wideout. Um, I was wondering about if he had actually landed anywhere um, earlier today, but I, I don't believe he has. He was supposed to go to Texas Tech, and then he was supposed to go to TCU, and didn't end up at either at either place. Um, certainly, some maturity issues for Josh Moore, and hopefully, he can get his life together. It looks like that'll be happening outside of the football. Uh, did he sign with like a USL team or something? I, I thought he signed with like the San Antonio Gamblers, right? Did that did that happen? Yeah, I think maybe I remember something like that. Well, we've really gotten yeah, off Houston, track. Here. Houston gamblers. We have gotten extremely, <laughs> extremely off track on stuff that we clearly did not research before we started. <laughs> yeah, we're so spending maybe, 10 maybe we should spend some. <laughs> maybe we should spend some time on uh, things that we've uh, that we thought about before. So let's um, start this podcast. Let's start with the Texas Tech offense. I know you wanted to spend time. Uh, Texas Tech, they are 2-1 and one on the season. They lost to number 16 NC State in what was just an, an awful game on the eyes. They beat Houston the week before, who was ranked 25th in overtime. Houston, you could argue, should be 0-3. They lost to Kansas last week. 
barely beat UTSA in overtime. That's that culture seems really great. You got players fighting on the sideline, but Tech is two and one. New head coach Joey McGuire, um, an outstanding high school football coach, done a great job recruiting so far in his short time in Lubbock. But Tyler Shuck, the transfer from Oregon. He started last year against Texas and coincidentally got injured in that game. Well, he got injured in the season opener against Murray State. Uh, I think collarbone injury, three to six weeks is the timetable. It doesn't look like he's going to play against Texas. We're recording this Tuesday night. Uh, This will be posted Wednesday. But it looks like it's going to be Donovan Smith and possibly the redshirt freshman Baron Morton. Now, he spells his name B-E-H-R-E-N. Pronounced it Baron. I don't know how that works. White people at it again. But Joey McGuire said he might play a little bit but Donovan Smith I'm going to throw out that Murray State game Westcott because in his last two games Donovan Smith has more interceptions than touchdown passes and he's been sacked 10 total times so give me your thoughts on Donovan Smith and possibly Baron Morton if we do see him on Saturday yeah Donovan Smith um, his father was the running back coach for a while under um under the former coach, Matt Wells. Uh, so spent some time at, at uh, Wolforth Friendship, uh, was recruited by Texas Tech. He's put on uh, a ton of weight since he got to Texas Tech. He's listed under 200 pounds. He's 6'5". Uh, when he was a recruit, he's now up to about, they list him around 230. Uh, so really big guy, extremely strong arm. Um, having some issues um, in the last last couple of weeks um, with his decision-making uh, with being on on the same page with his wide receivers and, um, you know, the offensive line really struggling uh, with pass protection. Um, I think some of that is on the scheme. They don't uh, really have a, a lot of help sometimes, uh, you know, leaving their tight end into block. And so I think North Carolina State did a really good job uh, last week of, of dialing up the right pressures. Uh, some of the same type of stuff that the Texas has run, uh, cornerback blitzes from the boundary, uh, bringing their linebacker and kind of, uh, you know, similar ways to DeMarvin Overshone's uh, blitz with that targeting call last week or Jalen Ford with his sack on Bryce Young the week before. Um, you know, so just kind of um, a little bit inconsistent uh, with Donovan Smith. And I think it probably doesn't help that uh, the quality at wide receiver isn't quite there for Texas Tech uh, like it was in previous years. Last year's leading receiver, uh, Eric Ezukanwa, um, ended up going to the NFL uh, with a year of eligibility remaining. You know, they TJ Vasher, uh, they don't really have anybody like that on this Texas Tech team and, and for a school that's been known for having a lot of uh, really explosive players from the slot. Uh, Miles Price is a solid player, but, um, you know, just not quite on the caliber of, of some of the guys that they've had playing inside in recent years either. Yeah, Ezukama and TJ Fasher both just absolutely throttled the Texas secondary the past few years. So they don't have that playmaker on the outside. They still have Taj Brooks and Sir Roderick Thompson at running back. They haven't really popped off yet this year. And for Donathan Smith, it, it seems like he, the clock in his head just is a few seconds slow where he needs to get rid of the ball. And he doesn't. He does have that ability to run with it, but just for some reason hasn't really shown it yet. Um, he's got a few fumbles as well. I don't know the, the total stats on that. You might have that, Westcott, but I know Houston forced a couple. He had one against NC State. And I think two of his interceptions are, have been pick sixes. Yeah, definitely it's had some you know interception issues, as you mentioned. Um, just kind of in, in looking at him, you know, especially in that North Carolina State game, um, 
there's situations where he just d- didn't really seem like he was on the on the same page as you know his wide receivers. And you know, I think some of the issues that are going on with Donovan Smith, um, you know, are, are really related to the offensive coordinator. Uh, Zach Kitley is a guy that. Um, you know, was a basketball player, uh, 6'7", went to Abilene Christian as a walk-on, decided he didn't want to uh, play basketball anymore, uh, went to Texas Tech, was a student assistant for Sonny Cumbie when Cliff Kingsbury was the head coach there, went on to become a graduate assistant, uh, went to Houston Baptist as the offensive coordinator in 2018, really ascended there uh, with the help of Bailey Zappi, their quarterback. And then he kind of took his uh, a lot of the playmakers on offense, including Zappi, Caden uh, uh, Stern's brother, Jareth, up to uh, Western Kentucky last year. Um, Zappi ended up uh, setting the NCAA record for passing yards and passing touchdowns. And then that was kind of enough um, for Kelly to parlay that into the Texas Tech offensive coordinator role after Sonny Cumbie took over as the Louisiana Tech head coach at the end of last November. So, you know, Kidley very much regarded as one of the rising names um, in college football. He says that it's not an air raid offense. Um, you know, it's kind of surprisingly that that bore out in watching the NC State game. Uh, they I didn't see them running mesh at all. Obviously, that's an air raid staple, uh, something that um, Steve Sarkeesian really likes to likes to run. And I just thought, um, you know, the construction of the offense, um, you know, was really not particularly impressive to me. Um, I didn't see them running any run pass options. Um, if they were, then, you know, that might have been kind of a handoff here and there. They don't really run very much quarterback run game uh, to use Donovan Smith, who's, you know, athletic, powerful runner. Um, they don't use a lot of shifts and motions to give their quarterback, um, you know, a read on whether the defense is, is playing zone or man coverage. Um they tried to run fake screen plays multiple times, even though they didn't run any wide receiver screens, um, which I thought was really weird. Like, why would they, why would they bite on, why would they, why would, why would a good defense bite on wide receiver screens when you never run them? <laughs> uh, like a fake screen. Why, why would they bite on a fake screen? You don't, you don't run that. And so, you know, one of the things that I thought really happened in that game was that, you know, Donovan Smith just didn't have very many easy throws to make. Um, they don't really have a play action passing game, which is extremely strange to me. I saw I, there might have been a few instance of, instances of it, but especially, you know, later in the game when I when I really started to notice the absence of that, I didn't really see them running play action. A lot of their routes are really deep. Their wide receivers run deep routes on almost every single play. And so that forces a quarterback to constantly make long throws. Uh, there were checkdowns that were available to Smith, but I think, you know, one of the issues for him, you know, why he holds the ball so long is just because he doesn't have easy, quick throws that, that he can make. There's no real quick game. There aren't a lot of wide receivers running crosses. And so um, I just I thought that they just weren't really putting um, players in a position to succeed. I'll point out um, a c- couple other plays that, you know, really stood out to me that I thought was strange. They ran um, they split Brooks, a running back out wide. Um and then they ran counter action to the field and ran a like a jet sweep pop pass coming back the other way um, to Brooks. But the play got blown up because one of the defensive linemen was left unblocked because of the counter action. 
And so he was able to, to tackle the running back coming across the formation towards them. And I thought that was a really strange way to design that when, you know, you can't even like, I guess you're hoping that, you know, the counter action kind of freezes that player. But um, I mean, if you really wanted to, to take that player out of the play, I mean, you could just run counter read. You've got a quarterback that can, that can run the football. Um, not very long after that, they ran a fourth and three and they tried to run a quarterback sneak with three yards to go, um, which I thought was extremely strange. Um, they had a fourth and one when that kind of game changing pick six happened. And so it looked like there was, um, uh, they went empty. It looked like they had a, like a quarterback draw read. They blocked it, um, for like a quarterback draw. It looked like Smith, um, you know, had a, had kind of a box read where he's reading the numbers in the box. NC State, you know, crashed the play. They were going to blow it up if he, if he ran it. Um, and then he had motioned to the wide receiver pre-snap. And I think they weren't on the same play, but it's, you know, it's fourth and one. And he, he tries to throw what looked like a, like a back shoulder fade at about 10 yards. And the wide receiver had, you know, was not anticipating it at all. And it, it turned into a pick six. And, um, you know, so just to, he had a, a a guy on a crossing route that, you know, he had, he had somebody come through the middle. So he might not have been able to get it to that guy, but, you know, to have a fourth and one call in a critical period of the game and you end up throwing a 10 yard back shoulder route. And that's the best play call that you could come up with. I, I just, I thought that was just ridiculous. And, um, you know, clearly Killy's had, you know, a lot of success, but, you know, just watching, you know, what he was doing with Texas Tech against NC State it really made me wonder how much of that success is, um, you know, having having guys who are in a system for a while and, and Zappi and, and Stearns and, you know, having players that were really too good for the levels that they were uh, playing at, whether it's Houston Baptist or even Western Kentucky. Yeah, his claim to fame is, of course, Billy Sapp from Western Kentucky, who, is, is pretty talented and of course Patrick Mahomes too where he was you know kind of the grad assistant and worked with Mahomes um two big talents so definitely trying to you know state his claim here with with Donovan Smith and, and Tyler Shook but even the the analytics just not a big fan of this Texas Tech offense they they rank 57th I think in in overall offensive efficiency offensive points per per possession 93rd in the country and I'm sorry nine, points per play is 93rd in the country and points per drive is 91st. So analytically not in love with this Texas tech offense. And I think, um, you know, maybe a situation where, you know, obviously Kelly wasn't the first choice offensive coordinator. That was, you know, Joey McGuire wanted to retain Sonny Cumbie. Um, but I kind of wonder if he's advanced a little bit more quickly than he's ready for. And, um, you know, whether his offense really has um, the diversity to be able to hold up, um, you know, in the big 12, I, I think that there's a, a, a major growth curve that, that Kelly is facing. And, um, you know, I, I thought his, his performance as a play caller in that North Carolina state game was just really poor. Yeah. Ugly game. The score was 27, 14 NC state. should have had a touchdown called the touchback because the receiver inexplicably dropped the ball before the goal line. I don't understand how receivers and running backs and anyone in general can't hold into the ball until you pass the goal line. So it could have been a lot worse. Their their two touchdowns just kind of came, I don't want to say in garbage time. One came in the fourth quarter and the other one came, I believe, the end of the first half when they were down 20 nothing. So the offense is definitely struggling. Do you think this is offense is more suited for Tyler Shuck? 
and they just haven't adapted to Donovan Smith, which makes me wonder if we're going to see Baron Morton a little bit more in this Texas game Saturday if Smith continues to struggle. Yeah, I think um, you know the the lack of quarterback run game is is very glaring and not using the athleticism of, of Smith and uh, being able to bolster a running game that you know has really struggled uh, just haven't haven't produced a lot um you know last year with uh, western kentucky they threw the ball about two-thirds of the time uh there's that 66 percent 66 percent of the time that that uh, you know they threw the ball this year they're slightly more balanced it's still uh 58 pass 42 percent run um so not not very balanced i think you know maybe they don't run play action stuff because their run game just isn't threatening anybody um, still a little bit strange to me. Um, but I, I think, you know, really the, even if Tyler Shuck was in there, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, what they're doing and, you know, just having the lack of the lack of easy completions, the lack of, you know, putting defenders in conflict with run pass options, or even with any, any zone read optioning people off. You're just, you're not, you're not helping your numbers. You're not putting the defense in conflict. They don't have a quick passing game. They don't run wide receiver screen. So they're not threatening to other teams on the perimeter. Um, they don't give their quarterback quick passes to let them get in a rhythm. So I'm not sure that, um, you know, this is a super quarterback friendly offense because, you know, they're just asking, they're asking the quarterback to make so many long throws all the time. Which also explains why they've given up 11 sacks total this season, which, by the way, if you're wondering, that's tied for 125th in the nation. Got to think the Texas D-line will be able to get to Donovan Smith and wonder what kind of blitzes PK will dial up for this game. Yeah. Um, you know, as I sort of alluded to earlier, I think they can call, you know, a lot of the same blitzes that they have been calling and be able to have some success with them, especially the the quarterback blitz from the boundary has been something, um, you know, that's been been good for Texas so far. You know, I think I don't know if uh, sometimes that's kind of a like an automatic blitz call when they um, when there aren't any wide receivers lined up to the boundary. Um formationally I don't think they'll they'll see that against Texas Tech I didn't notice uh, Kelly running that you know at all but um, you know certainly those those blitzes that have been effective in the first several games should also be effective against Texas Tech so now speaking of defense the Texas Tech defense might be sneaky good Westcott so efficiency rating they're ranked 48th defensively in FBI uh Defensive points given up per possession, 165, that's 39th in the nation. Defensive uh, points per play, they're 14th best. Uh, defensive touchdowns given up per drive, they're 29th in the country. Is this defense sneaky good, or is it just a result of playing Houston and NC State, two offenses that don't rate, I don't believe they're top 70 in the, in the country? Yeah, and then an FCS opponent as well in Murray State. I think it's probably both. Um, you know, the defensive coordinator now is, is Tim DeRoy, Tim DeRuiter, um, former head coach at, at Fresno State, was also at, at Texas A&M um, in the last decade, uh, was at Oregon last year after a stint at Cal under Justin Wilcox. Um, he's a guy who's really known for being able to execute uh, quick turnarounds. Uh, that's something that he, he's very good at. I think uh, Texas Tech looks like they're more fundamentally sound and largely tackle better than they have in, in recent years. And I think some of that is, is having a little bit of an upgrade um, in talent. 
they have a couple guys in the secondary. Um, one NC State transfer, um, a Duke transfer in, in Muddy Waters. Um, they have Tyree Wilson um, on the edge, who's an extremely talented edge rusher. Uh, very dangerous uh, guy that Texas may need to provide some help on. He's a Texas A&M transfer, uh, probably the best player on the entire team. Um, and then they have, you know, defensive tackle Philip Blitty, um, who makes plays pretty disruptive in the backfield. Um, Creshawn Merriweather, linebacker, is a junior college guy, a little bit undersized, but, you know, productive, a guy, good instincts, generally in the right place. Uh, Texas Tech has given up six runs of 10 or more yards, but hasn't given up a run of 20 or more yards this year. Uh, so that really just tells me that they're playing fundamentally sound defense and, in, in, um, you know, at all three levels. Held NC state to three yards per carry 111 yards overall. That's an offense that tries to set up the run first before the pass. I mentioned NC state, I think they're 69th in overall offense efficiency. And then Houston who, Definitely a, isn't as good as they were last year, in my opinion. Held Clayton Toon to 266 yards, just 87 yards rushing. You mentioned the rush defense, but do you think Texas will struggle at all trying to get Bijan Robinson and Roshan and whoever else going on Saturday? I think it's I think it's pretty likely that that happens, um, especially with Hudson Card in the game. Um, his inability to to hit shot plays, and I think just the desire of of teams against Bijan Robinson um, to really commit numbers to the running game and, and force Texas to beat them with the pass is something that's been consistent um, going back to last season. And I think that uh, there's a clear reason for that. And I, I don't expect um, Texas Tech to go in a different direction there. And their defensive line in, in their front is solid. Um, I don't expect them to play their, their safeties as shallow and take quite as many risks as UTSA did. Um, but I would expect them um, to commit the numbers to stop the run and to have some success doing so early in the game. Bijan did have 137 yards. Mm -hmm. 18 carries against Texas Tech last year. Casey Thompson, five touchdowns and an interception, 300 yards, uh, blowout win for the Horns last year. I don't think Texas scores 70 this week, though. No, I don't think so. I, I think this defense is significantly improved um, from that Texas Tech group last year. And, um, you know, I was really going back and, and trying to think of, you know, all the Texas Tech defensive coordinators over the last decade. And I think DeRoyter is, is the best one that they've had during that stretch. So the line opened Texas favored by four. It's now climbed to six and a half. And we'll get to our predictions a little bit later on. But is this – we talked about UTSA being a trap game. Do you think this is more of a trap game on Saturday, or do you think this is just Texas Tech? It's the first game of the season for the Big 12. It's Hudson Carr starting. How do you think – where do you think Texas factors in here? Yeah, well, I think that Steve Sarkeesian will spend this week really making sure that his team is ready to come out and focused at the start of the game. That was something that he was frustrated about. Um, on Monday, we talked about all the missed tackles that Texas had early in that game. Um, you know, didn't have a great offensive start either. And so, you know, I would expect Texas to come into this game um, a little bit more locked in than they were at the start of that UTSA game. I asked Joe Cook this on, on our show on, on Monday. 
What opposing fan base will you not miss the most when you go to the SEC? I, I got to think for you, Texas Tech is probably 1A. Yeah, it's got to be Texas Tech. Any, anyone Texas else? Tech fans are incredibly obnoxious. <laughs> I mean, OU fans had an extremely strange stretch on Twitter during the summer after Arch Manning committed and there was that big run, but – None, none of the other Texas fan bases or none of the other Big 12 fan bases bother me nearly as much as Texas Tech. You know, maybe Baylor fans back during the scandal, certainly with their inability to take responsibility for what had happened at, at their school. But, you know, other than that, it's, it's definitely Texas Tech fans by far. Definitely the most annoying on social media. Um, I don't think there's a couple teams in the Big 12. I don't think really have fans like West Virginia. Do you have fans? Not sure. Never met an <laughs> Iowa State fan in my life. Never met a TCU fan in my life. Kansas State, no. Baylor fans, I would put up there obnoxious. Kansas might have the most fans if they keep winning, but I would say probably Texas Tech is the most annoying. So I'll like share. I'll share an interaction that I had. It was. Um, it would have been like a, a little bit like early in the second half of the Louisiana Monroe game where I had tweeted at halftime that Quinn Ewers had a 69% completion percentage, which of course is mostly just a joke, right? Like, um, and then some Texas tech fan comes up in my mentions and he's bragging about how many passing yards Texas tech threw for against Murray state. Nice. And, and I'm just like, why are you in my mentions bragging about what you did against an FCS team when I'm just making a joke in the first place? Like no one cares. And so, um, he said, I care. And I was like, well, you're no one. So my point still stands. Social media has really, I think helped in terms of expanding college football rivalries because before I moved to Texas and, and really got to interact with other fans, like I didn't, I didn't know that this much hate, outside of Texas A&M and Oklahoma existed for Texas football. And I think some of that is moving to the SEC for sure. I'm sure you saw Mike Gundy's comments today about Oklahoma and Texas. He's still throwing a hissy fit about it. But I didn't know there was this much animosity towards us. Damn. I think uh, there was that poll a couple of years ago when Texas was the biggest rival for like 11 different schools. Yep. And we consider what only only Oklahoma is our rival, right? I say we as as graduates. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas certainly will be back up there again uh, once Texas moves to the SEC and you know A and M. Um, but I, I think that for actual rivalries, moving to the SEC will be really good for Texas, Arkansas, Texas A uh, Texas A and M, um, LSU. Excuse me, could you know certainly fit into that mold as well very quickly. Vanderbilt, excited for that. You know, Texas and Kansas <laughs> got a great rivalry. We're gonna miss that over the past few years. But Texas is likely to play Vanderbilt once every 10 years in the SEC. <laughs> so let me ask you this then. So by get, moving to the SEC, Texas gains AM back as the rival, Arkansas. Would you rather have those two or Texas Tech in Nebraska? I, I guess Tech is the second biggest rival behind Nebraska. I don't know. I mean, Texas has beat Texas Tech a lot recently, and they definitely beat Nebraska a lot before they left. But yeah. no, I would much, I would much prefer Arkansas and Texas A&M. It's not even close. 
and it does seem like it is going to be 2025. Kirk Bowles tweeted out that he had a conversation with Greg Sankey, the SEC athletic director, during the A&M Miami game, and he told them, and he could just be fronting or, or just saying it, but he told them it's going to be probably 2025, which makes sense because that's when the 2024 or when the TV contract ends, is 2024 with Fox, and unless the Big 12 decides to renegotiate that with the new teams coming in, I don't think Oklahoma has any intention of paying that buyout. Oklahoma broke boys slowing this down. <laughs> Any other takeaways from Texas Tech so far in their first three games? No real other takeaways. First sellout for them since 2018 with Texas coming to town. Um, also the last time 2018 was when Texas came into town. So you definitely see why they want to get them on the schedule because Texas sells tickets, whether it's fans that are traveling or Texas tech fans, you want to come and throw tortillas and batteries at Texas players. Will you be in Lubbock on Saturday? I will not. What would, so the last time Texas may ever play in Lubbock and you're not going to go. No. What, what would it take for you to go? private plane <laughs> i don't want to drive to lubbock man that drive sucks it does suck um even if i'm gonna drive if i'm gonna drive through lubbock i'm headed to a much better place than lubbock the Mexico, best part Colorado, about the Montana. best part of best part about moving to sec is i think the college towns texas will will be able to go to athens um, Ole Miss, what's that town called? That's a great town. I already forgot. Oxford, come on. Oxford, man. yeah, I should know that. Sorry, Oxford. Into Oxford, it was awesome. 2012, fun times. Tuscaloosa is not awful, and then of course Baton Rouge. You're, you're close to New Orleans, so excited for that. I've heard great things about even Auburn. I'm, I'm looking forward to that versus going to. And I forgot about Knoxville. I'm flipping through it. Gainesville. I don't know. Lexington. Some of those great opportunities. You've never, you've, never, you've never wanted to go to Manhattan, Kansas for a game? Let's see. We got Lubbock. Nope. West Virginia. Nope. Iowa State. Uh, Morgantown's cool. I wanted to go to Morgantown last year. <laughs> out of the out of the Big 12 opponents, is, is Morgantown the most exciting, most enticing to go to? I mean, I don't know if you can really count TC yeah. because it's not really a college. Yeah, I think so. I think Morgantown probably the best road trip in the Big 12. It's brutal. Waco. No, thank you. Lawrence. Hey, they have a great Fazoli's in Waco, Cam. <laughs> Say it again. They have a great Fazoli's in Waco. <sighs> Fazoli's, man, that brings back memories. <laughs> it really got people going with that tweet last year. <laughs> Let's take a break real quick. Uh, we'll come back with our score predictions, and Westcott will tell us about his favorite memories in Lubbock. All right, Westcott, your official prediction for Saturday. Line is six and a half as it stands on Tuesday night. It's gone up two and a half points since it was first released. 38 to 24, Texas. Okay. Wow, you think Hudson Card puts up 38 points? I mean, I guess he put I've up seen, 41 last week. So. You know, I've seen score. I've seen score predictions that have um, that have this game being played in in the 30s, and I don't think I think Texas's offense is good enough to do that, even with Hudson Card 
you know, in there, I, I think that he hits Xavier Worthy for at least one shot play this week. Uh, Worthy finally gets his first touchdown of the season. And I, I just don't think that um, Texas Tech's offense is, is good enough to get into the 30s against uh, with how well this Texas defense has been playing. So Card started last week, offense scored 41 points. Uh, he started against West Virginia last year, or didn't start actually. I don't think he actually came in for an nope. injured Casey Thompson. Offense scored 23 points. He played Iowa State after Casey Thompson was benched. Offense scored seven points. Uh, 21 against Arkansas. I think 14 of that came from Casey Thompson. And then they put nope. up 38 against Louisiana with Casey playing the second half. We'll find out more about the injuries and all that stuff on Thursday when Sark speaks to the media. Are you expecting any big bombshells on Thursday, or you think it's still going to be Hudson Card probably starting most likely? Yeah, I, based on you know what what we saw from Quinn Ewers throwing in, in pregame on Saturday, um, unless he's really made a, a big jump in, in his ability to to throw with accuracy, you know, one thing that stood out with uh, with Ewers as well. Um, he wasn't going through the, the pre, pregame warmups where he had to really move his left arm. Um, so I think that shoulder is, is still bothering him. And um, I don't see that there's any way that um, that's going to be improved enough for him to, to play against Texas Tech. And, um, you know, I, I think that it would be a poor choice if he was kind of borderline ready, um, you know, to be able to play. And one thing that um, Sark mentioned during his Monday um, press conference was that, you know, he really wants guys to be able to go through practice, um, if not close to full speed, like at least all out so that, um, you know, they can kind of get a feel for what a, it feels like to have to play through that injury so that they don't go out for the first time on Saturday and then realize how much it hurts and then spend all of their time focusing on, on how much that hurt if they hadn't been through that experience in practice already. And it feels like Texas is still mostly healthy for this game outside the Ewers injury. I don't think anyone else is expected to miss Saturday, right? Besides Nayer and Ungalau who are out for the end of the year. Yeah, other than the season-ending injuries, um, everybody else should be good to go unless somebody picked up a knock in practice this week. That's pretty good for Texas because the last few years, it's felt like by week, by the Big 12 opener at least, there's a handful of guys who are dealing with some big injuries and we're not really sure and we're waiting for the injury report. So uh, credit to the strength and conditioning staff for that. It's held together so far. Um, I think, what was it? What did we say the other week? The first eight, nine weeks of the season until the, yeah. the bye week. So a long, long stretch for Texas still in the um, in the early part of it. But uh, so far, so good for, um, you know, the injury issues right now, um, other than those two big losses from that first scrimmage. Uh, what's your thought on, on a score for this weekend? So I'm two and one for Texas this year. Um, my loss taking Alabama with the points i'm going to go texas covers again they're three no against the spread westcott i think that continues um six and a half three no against the spread that's a remarkable development for the longhorns that's big time isn't it seems like a big change from recent years but uh, i interrupted you here before your score prediction score prediction uh, i would say you said 38 20 38 24 38 24 
I'll go 34-20. I don't, okay. I don't think this Texas Tech offense is going to score more than 20 points against the defense right now, unless Baron Brennan, whatever his stupid name is, unless he comes in and, and just lights it up. But he hasn't looked like he's ready yet. Even though he's a redshirt freshman, so I think Texas, I think Texas covers. Uh, I think they'll win. Um, hopefully, not as an exciting game as the last 2020 game was when Texas had the win in overtime. Yeah, I, I expect um, I expect a comfortable win for Texas in this one. Real quick, Texas is five and zero in their last five Big Twelve road openers and nine and three against the spread against Texas in this series since 2009, which was not the last, was the first, not, not the Crabtree game since 2009. So nine and three and uh big 12 openers on the road as well. Yeah. So everything's favoring Texas here. Um, the last home opener, last big 12 opener for Stark was TCU last year. Of course, uh, they won by, by just a touchdown. That was Bijan Robinson carrying Texas. <laughs> to a factory there before everything went off the the wheels but and if it if anyone talks to Bijan robinson uh before saturday's game uh please ask him not to try to hurdle anyone no no scorpion no trying to pull off a, a weird yoga pose in the middle of the air. <laughs> he did call that a scorpion i i will i will never understand how he managed to get up and walk off the field after that play without a serious injury the still uh, photo of what his back the shape his back makes no human body should ever make that shape no i would be i would be paralyzed that would have that hurdle would have been like my last ever jump attempt if i had done that and landed like that i feel positive i'd be in a wheelchair right now (laughs) i'd I'd be doing this podcast from a wheelchair all right so both of us predicting texas to win and to cover Check back Monday for a reaction pod. And, of course, check out burnorangenation.com for some great contact leading up to the game. And if you got any questions for us you want to answer in the podcast, feel free to leave a comment in the podcast post or reach out to us on Twitter, Westcott, SBN underscore Westcott. And I am at Cameron D. Parker. Possibly the last time in Lubbock. And, unfortunately, Westcott, you will not be there. But um, – who knows? Maybe if we play for 25 more years, you might make it up there once. Possible. Possible. All right. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll be back Monday. Horns up, guns down.